This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Well, welcome everyone. Nice to see you all. Now we have some survivors that have been at it here with me for a while. And yes, you, you truly are survivors here. But you were here this morning as well. You are survivors. And I think you were too, right? You were here and, and you've been here the whole time, right? I, I think you were one or two other things. You've been here for a while too. Is this your second one? The second one over here too. And let's see, everyone else is new, right? Okay. Well, welcome. I'm glad you came. This is a very interactive seminar, so I'm not going to do too much lecturing. There'll be some, but we'll be kind of hands-on here. So you will probably want to be sitting near someone because we work together a lot. So have a look around and maybe just move forward, move back that you're near someone that you can team up with. If there's someone you, well, I guess you'll get to know them then. So we're saying we're having our teams, at least someone that you can interact with here. You can, uh, you can join, you can be a bigger group than, than, than two, but one isn't a group. Okay, two's a group too, two's a group, two's fine. Two's a group, fine. Okay, so does everyone have a partner? No one is left behind, right? Good. Before we begin, let's have a little prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of delving into this gift that you've given us. I want to pray for your presence. May your Holy Spirit be with us. Please open our minds. Please interpret for us because we realize once again that we are dependent on you. Thank you. Amen. A little bit of what we've done today. We started off this morning with an introduction into Ellen White as a person. We spoke a bit about her as a person, what kind of mother she was and, and wife, and what it was like living with her. And then after that, we moved right in and... What did we talk about? <laughs> okay, our last session we've had has been on how relevant she is, what we get from Ellen White. The second session was inspiration. What was it like to have visions? What was it like? How did that whole vision thing work? How did it get from a vision to a printed page? That's what we spoke about this, this morning. Now we're getting down to the hands-on stuff. We've got books. Uh, we unfortunately can't listen to Ellen White in person anymore. We can't hear her deliver sermons or anything else. So we don't have that option, but we've got her books. We've got her books. But how can we get the most out of reading her books? So that's what we are doing today. Let's begin with a warm-up. With your partner, with your group, Okay, everybody's got someone to talk to. This is your question, all right? What would be your reaction if you heard the following? 
All right? If you heard that, what would be your reaction? Discuss it with your partner. Maybe you want to also tell them that. Maybe you want to explain what that means. Okay, how many of you feel positive about that? Put your hand up if you feel positive about that. All right, so we've got some people that feel positive. How many of you feel negative about that? No one. Everyone else is sincerely confused. Why? <laughs> it's not a trick question. It depends, right? You need more information. Is there anything you don't understand about that? Do you understand all the words? Yes, of course. It's a completely normal, easy English sentence. But what it means is kind of a little bit more complex. We need a bit more context here, don't we? Now, let me give you a context. It's Christmas. And you are five or six years old. And you have been begging your parents for a dog. You've wanted a dog. You've wanted a dog. And you're sitting there, and in the next room, you hear a funny noise. And you get up, and you go to the door, and you're standing by the door, and you're hearing this funny noise. And your mom says to you, there's a dog in the room. How do you feel? You are excited. This phrase is a promise, right? It's a gift. It's like, wow, your best dreams have just become a reality. You have got a dog. You're so happy. On the other hand, on the other hand, you're in your house. You're in your house and... Uh, you have your hand on the door handle of your bedroom where you have your large, let's see, Rottweiler. All right. And he is in the bedroom and you're about to let him out when you see a burglar climbing through the window into your room. You hold the handle and you say, to the burglar, there's a dog in this room. All right, what does that mean? This is a threat. Back off. I have a dog. I'm protected here. Okay. You see, same sentence, same sentence, different context gives it quite a different meaning. You can't underestimate context. You can't underestimate it. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. 
uh, because we're talking. Verbally, we're talking. 70% of our communication is nonverbal. Is nonverbal. It got. It has to do with how you're feeling, how I'm feeling, how I'm waving my arms and legs. Whether you feel positive towards me or negative towards me, whether you see me as a threat or not, all of these things influence how you hear me. What I'm trying to communicate with you is only part of what's going on here. So communication is a real package deal. But somehow. We sometimes forget this when we read the Bible, or even more so when we read Ellen White's writings. We seem to think that she, because she wrote later than the Bible, we seem to think that she's a contemporary. We don't often register, now wait, I, I, I need to try and understand a little bit more if I really want to get to the heart of things here. So let's look very quickly. This is not as hard as it looks. We look very quickly at the hermeneutical cycle for working with the Bible. If you were here earlier today, we spoke about inspiration, and we said the same spirit that inspired the Bible inspired Ellen White's writings. For those of you who were here, you'll remember this. We need the same spirit to interpret her writings that we do when we read the Bible. And we need to go through the same process when we read her writings as when we read the Bible. We use the same steps to get to the meaning of what she is writing about. So let's begin in the middle. You see it's like an onion that falls on open. Let's begin in the middle. Word. We have to understand the words on their own. That's kind of obvious. If I'm going to use a word that you don't understand, you're going to try to guess the meaning of that word dependent on the context. But if you really want to understand, you need to understand the words, right? This we don't often think about when we read Ellen White because it's, she writes in English. But the English she writes is different from our English because English is evolving. There are plenty of words which carry a slightly different connotation, which is kind of strange or could be strange. Any examples of words that have changed since her time? Yes. The word gay. Very obvious. Okay. From happy to a sexual orientation. That's quite a big jump. There's another one. Intercourse. Intercourse. Uh, she writes that Jesus had intercourse with everyone he met. Okay, that's a pretty different context if you read it with today's vision. All right, what did it mean back then? It meant interaction, communication. Okay, it's pretty different to what we have today. Terrible, terrible. She writes often of terrible experiences. And what do you think of when you hear the word terrible? You think of it as being negative. In the context of her time, it's more like awesome. Like we would use the word awesome. 
Okay, so you get what I'm saying. So just because it's English, don't assume that we know what all the words mean. If, if something's a little bit, uh, that's weird, check, check, go back. You can check. We'll talk about the process. Then we look at the phrase. We look at the bigger context. We've got the word. We've got the bigger context over there. We look at the bigger unit. Is this part of a letter? Is this part of a sermon? Is this part of a diary entry? All of this will play a role. Who was she speaking to here? Uh, is she speaking to doctors? She's going to use a bit of a different terminology than if she was speaking to children. It's going to make a difference over here. So you want to look at the whole unit. If we're looking at the Bible, we're looking at the book, the book of the Bible. If you're looking at Ellen White's writings, what book? If you're reading a book, what book is this a part of? That will make a difference. What book is this a part of? And in the case of the Bible, we're looking at what's the big theme of the Bible? What is the big theme of the Bible? What is the overarching theme of the Bible? Ooh. Great controversy. Spot on. The great controversy would be the big theme of Scripture. It begins before Genesis. It ends with Revelation, and we see how the God of love responds to the sin situation through all the different time periods, how he's got things in control with prophecy, and how he's promising to bring it to its conclusion. It's all there. It's all there. Okay, just a couple of things. When you approach, when you approach that, right, that extract from Ellen White, that quote from Ellen White, here's a couple of things that you can ask. The same you can use for your Bible study. You can use the same questions. Rather than just reading and reading and reading and afterwards saying, huh? Okay, ask some key questions. It'll slow you down. It'll make you think. What are the key words? What are the key words? We often put emphasis on words that she never necessarily did. That was just a little by-statement, and we get all hung up on it and all stuck, and we're trying to figure this lot out here. And that was just something by the way. That wasn't the main emphasis of what she was saying. She was saying something else. So look for the key words. Make sure you understand those words, particularly if they're strange or different. So just have a quick look there. What is the immediate context of those words? Who's the author? Now, in this case, we know who the author is. It's Ellen White. But you'd want to ask, who is she writing for over there? Author and readership. That, that would be important. Who is she writing for? What do you think I mean by theology? Anybody? The bias of the author? Yeah. In other words, Ellen White is not writing for fun here. She's writing as God's messenger. So she obviously wants to tell us something about God. So what is she trying to tell us about God here? That God loves me? That God's concerned for my health? Uh, that God wants to come soon to take me home? What are we hearing? 
What is she trying to tell me? And then finally, what application can I make for my life today from what I've read? What's the application? Okay. Just a little bit more theory, and then we'll hit the practice. So we've got those things in mind. Now we're reading along, and we suddenly come to a very difficult quote. Here's your problem shooting, all right? Troubleshooting for problem solving of difficult quotes or difficult sections. First thing is read the sources and don't rely on what other people say. Very important. And it's become really, really easy. Do all of you have the EGW app? Who has the app? Hands up. Not everyone has the app. All right. Afterwards, I've got some little flyers here. Just grab it. It tells you about all the platforms for, for the app. So never before has everyone had the possibility of having everything Ellen White wrote at their fingertips for free. It's pretty impressive. So you don't have to take anybody's word for it. You can check yourself now. Right? So first find out if she said it. Um, I've just finished, we're just working on, a, on a, a game for young adults. It's called uh, Ellen White Says, and it's in the testing stage. And that is, we got a collection, and it's impressive how many there are, there are out there, of apocryphal Ellen White quotes. Um, things she never said, that people believe that she said. And we've got them, and we've mixed them up with, with some real ones, and that's the game. You have to guess whether she really said it or not over there. And it was quite a lot of fun finding out, and, and I must admit, I learned quite a lot myself. There were a good couple there that I really, really had heard since I was this big and really thought she had said that it turns out that she didn't say. Sorry? For example, in all I can think of are examples from the game because that's what I've been working with, and I don't want to give that away because if I do, then just one. All right. Just one. How many of you heard that, that Lucifer could sing in four different voices at the same time? Okay. Apocryphal. There's no such quote. All right. Sorry. Spoiled that one. <laughs> so, and there's a couple of others that are perhaps more, uh, yeah. Anyway. All right. So, read the sources for yourself. Won't get. Collect all information on a topic. All information on a topic. You'll see how important that is. How do we do, how do we establish doctrine when we're studying the Bible? How do we do that? We take one verse and then that's doctrine? No. We compile all the verses. We put them all together and you will see the pattern that emerges. You don't pull one verse out of context and make it, try to make it say something, right? We know we can't do that with the Bible, but an awful lot of us do it with Ellen White. We just pull a one-liner out somewhere, and that's what she says over there. You can't do it with the Bible. You can't do it with Ellen White. You have to collect all the information on a particular topic. Study context. And remember, big picture. Ellen White was the most balanced, broad-minded woman I have come across. 
And we often see her the exact opposite way. She was not fanatical. She was not obsessed with anything. She was practical, kingdom-driven, and a very warm and loving person. That's what I've discovered. And any one quote that's pulled out of its context that makes her seem different, you better look at that three times over because it's been yanked out of its context over there. So remember context. We spoke, uh, I'm sorry, how many of you are here for the first time again? Can I just see your hands? Okay, so we're about half. Because we spoke quite a lot earlier about, about context and some examples of context, but we'll, we'll do a little bit more later. This was not just a problem. Taking things out of context was not just a problem we have today. They were already doing it while Ellen White was alive. So you can imagine, <laughs> yeah, the problems only got worse. So much so that James printed this in the Review and Herald in 1868. So not too long after the church is officially established, he, pub pub he publishes this about Ellen White. He says, what she may urge the tardy is taken by the prompt to urge them over the mark. Right? And what she may say to, the, to caution the prompt, zealous, incautioned ones is taken by the tardy as an excuse to remain too far behind. So it's a pretty tough spot. Let me give you an example. There, this one comes from health reform. There was a, a coal porter who was doing door-to-door -door sales. And over the summer, back then, they used to go coal portering. Now they were very dependent. There were no hotels. There were no whatever. So you walked out there with your books, and you kept going from farm to farm trying to sell your books. When it got near lunchtime, you hoped that someone invited you for lunch. And when it got near evening, you hoped someone gave you something to eat and let you at least sleep in the barn. Okay, because there was no other way back then. You walked a lot. You were on your feet. You were walking that whole day. Right. So one coal porter was doing his work, and he was, you know, it was tough work, but he was doing it to the best of his ability. Then he read in the health reformer that Ellen White, you know, an article that she had written, and he reads this, and he realizes that, you know, meat shouldn't be a part of anybody's diet. So he says, whoa, I've got some problems here because very often the houses I go to, you know, the, the, even the vegetables have been cooked in the same pot as, as with the meat and stuff. So, you know, I'm going to have to skip these meals at these farmhouses. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to make granola. So he made this like big batch of granola. It was just oats. Um, basically just oats that had been toasted. So this kept very well, and then when he gets to the farm, he asked for a little bit of milk so that he could have milk with his, with his oats. So now he's eating this, this granola stuff, breakfast, lunch, and supper uh, with a bit of milk. So uh, the next week he's reading, and they've got an article on how unhealthy dairy can be. So he thinks, oh boy, all right, okay. Well, we'll have to stop with the milk in the granola. So no more milk, now we just get water. When we go for the different place, we have water with the granola. So now he's eating granola 
three times a day with a bit of water. Then he reads that people overindulge and that a much better way would be to have two meals instead of three meals a day. So he says, it's true, I eat three meals a day. This, this isn't good, I need to bring myself in line here. It's two meals a day. So now it's two meals a day of granola with water. He lasted like a week and he got so sick that he had to be transported home and it took him months to recover. Was any of the counsel he was following wrong? He was fitting very well in with what James White had said here. What James White had said here. The principle that she advocates over and over is be as healthy as you can be. Look at your circumstances. Look at what the possibilities are in your environment. Be as healthy and as balanced as you can be. Was he in any danger of overeating by eating three meals a day with the kind of physical labor he was doing? No. Was he getting all that bad stuff from fresh milk that was very organic off the farms where he was getting? It was supplying vital nutrients to him. He was having a very unbalanced diet. He had no fruits. He had no vegetables. He didn't have any other protein source. So in essence, he was way off the mark, way off the mark over here. So we're talking a little bit about context and big picture. All right, you ready to practice? You remember the theory, what we, we spoke about, the questions to ask, right? You remember? Or do we have to go over that? You got it. All right, good. In your group, please explain to me what does that mean? Someone comes up to you and says, did you know Ellen White says that you should not be purchasing bicycles? Okay. Go for it. That's why I said if you've got your phone and you want to look for any context or anything else, you're welcome. This is the hands-on part.
Okay, just in case you've forgotten, you want to check your source out over here. You want to see if there's any other information you can find over there. And you want to see if you can figure out anything with the context. That's what you are going to try to do, okay, with your bicycle. The app, the LNG White app. No, I don't. You don't. Do you have a smartphone? No, I don't have a Do you have a computer? Do you work with a computer? Like, I think it's more for the time of the period. But, you know, there's a lot of people like, they're 
Yeah, you're you organising your bicycle thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> Good, are we about done? Anyone organizing a bicycle burning? No one? Okay, this sounds like fun. Who would like to begin? Okay, let's begin. Let's begin with the beginning. Did you check the quote out? Does she say that? Does she say that? You should not be purchasing bicycles. Does she say it? <laughs> That's heavily implied. Good. Remember that step one. Step one is make sure, make sure you actually, does this have a pointer? Yeah. Let's see. There we go. Make sure you get the words. Remember? I said... You should not be purchasing bicycles. She says, you would not. Does that make a difference? Aha. Yeah. Uh -huh. Be careful. Go to your source. Check your sources. Make sure she really said it. Okay. So, we've established now where that fact comes or where that quote comes from. We see that there was a slight inaccuracy. That does make a difference on it. Okay, good. Anyone? Yes, this group in front, you wanted to begin. So now, what step are we going to do? What was the second step? Can you remember? Compile all the information. So do you find other bicycle references over here? There's quite a lot. Did you get a chance to look through them? Okay. And what are they talking about? Ah, good. Good, good, good. We have a look at the time in 1894. Now we're moving also into context because you've looked up the other bicycle references. So we're moving around. 1894. Bicycles are the rage. They've just come out, and they are really the hot thing to get. Um, they don't have brakes, okay? And there are no roads for bicycles. They are ruts in the road. So we have a record number of people breaking bones from careering around on these things, and, and injuring themselves. But that's beside the point. Besides it being a health hazard in this way, it is sold as a fitness device, not as a transportation device, but as a fitness device, that you need a bicycle to be healthy. Without a bicycle, you're not going to be healthy. You need a bicycle to be healthy. And besides needing a bicycle to be healthy, it's the in thing. They're, all of the market has jumped in. They are selling special ladies' costumes that you wear with this complete little hat thing and, and everything else with your long dress that it's uh, all specially done out with dust covers and everything that goes along with it, with riding, little riding shoes. Uh, men have a proper outfit that you have to wear as well when you go riding. So this is quite the thing. And everyone's getting them. 
Everyone has them and they are expensive. This bicycle costs $100. Okay, it costs $100. That is converted to our time. That is about the price. Oh, that's about $25,000 in buying currency. Uh, it, no, that is correct. You're paying off. You are paying off. You will have to pay your salary, your whole salary, an average working salary, a whole salary for about a year without anything else. So no one can afford these things. So what are they doing? They're all taking out loans. They're all getting into debt to get themselves these bicycles that they're careering around in and breaking things. Okay, because they just have to have it. And you don't just have a bicycle, you've got to get the proper outfit with it as well. And you're just socially a nobody if you don't have a bicycle. So, the center of Adventism, Battle Creek, is all the bicycle rage. Because Dr. Kellogg has decided that bicycles are nice things. And a couple of other big names have said that they have health properties. Now, of course, it is healthy to be riding a bike. To getting any exercise is a good idea, right? But it doesn't have to be this kind of expense. Good. Any other context things to look at? Yes. Okay, shortly afterwards we have bicycle races and, you know, betting on bicycles. This has also become a big thing, a big deal out here, and that's also an issue. Let's look specifically at this, at this quote over here. It begins, how is it with my brethren and sisters in America? Ellen White is not in America. Ellen White is, at this time, does anybody know where she is? She's in Australia. And what's she doing in Australia? Yeah, besides the fact that they shipped her waste. Not necessarily that they can have their bicycles. Okay. She is living in a tent. She's living in a tent on a piece of ground that has just been purchased. Uh, Australia is in one of the biggest depressions that they've had. So money is extremely tight, hard to get by. Um, Ellen White's living in a tent. The students that will be studying at Avondale, the, the property that's been bought there, they've arrived to no school. So what they're doing is they are working. Every student is working all day at building the school. They are making bricks. They are doing woodwork. You know, they speak of these young ladies with blisters on their hands because they're doing the hammering nails. I mean, not accustomed to that work. Everybody's working. They work all day, and then in the evenings, they have two or three hours of classes in the tents because they so badly want a school. They so badly want a Christian education. So that's what they're doing. Ellen's trying to help. She's an old lady already, but she is riding 
She's riding the horse and delivery cart down to the depot to pick up lumber, etc., for the building site to spare a man who could be working, you know, on the job. So there's this little old lady that's doing that. She's living in a tent. And they hear that back in America, everyone is riding bicycles while they're in a tent. While they're working all day, what are their brothers and sisters in America doing? They are riding bicycles. And they can't pay mission offering. They can't help with foreign missions because they're all in debt. They're busy paying their bicycles off back at home. Does that make sense? And she writes to them and she pleads with them. Over here, she says, we're doing our work here under great pressure for the want of the very money that many of our members are expending upon their own fancies in pleasing and gratifying themselves, which I think was fairly diplomatically said. If I were her in those conditions, I may have used other language at this point over here. Um, if they had accepted the testimonies that I've borne to them concerning the great want in these regions beyond, they would not be found expending one dollar in following the example of those who are multiplying, and here she uses something else, pictures of themselves and their families. You would not be purchasing bicycles, which you could do without, but would be receiving the blessing of God in exercising your physical powers in a less expensive way. She goes on, instead of investing $100 in a bicycle, you would consider the matter well, lest it might be at the price of souls for whom Christ has died and for whom he's made you responsible. Remember what we said this morning? She magnifies the Bible, the biblical principle. She says, please read Isaiah 58 and see what is a sure remedy for poor health. If you have health problems, what does Isaiah say? Can anybody remember what it says in Isaiah 58? Then your will speed forth as the dawn. So she remembers that. Satan will contrive to bring about many devices to absorb the means which should be devoted to the cause of God at this very time. We cannot open new fields in regions beyond for the want of the very means that are being used up in various ways which might be given to destitute missions over here. And she goes on to speak about the faith of the people there and how hard they're trying. And she talks back to her fellow members. Okay, now we've got context. Now we do the last step. What was the last step? Application. Application. What's the application? Is it still valid for us today? And if so, in what way? Did you do that in your group? You didn't get to the application? All right, just quickly then. What's the application?
Okay, that was just part of the same quote I put up. Okay, anyone, have you made that big jump? What is a 21st century application? Yes, please. Okay, thank you. She says it's not necessarily bicycles. It's got to do with how we spend our money and if it's necessary, you know, to spend it on ourselves, etc. Good, good point. Anyone else? An application. I like this part very much. Yes. Okay. Okay. I like that. For those who couldn't hear at the back, he said, you know, he sees you have someone drive past in a Cadillac and say to a homeless person, sorry, nothing, nothing to give you. It's just disproportional. Perhaps spending your money wisely that you have something to share would be good. Yes? Anything else? Yes? Okay, so he says maybe looking at the ministry. If there's some that are really popular and everybody wants to give in that direction, but maybe we should look at where there are real needs and, and put our money towards that. Good. Anyone else? Yes. Ah, she says keeping up with the Joneses. Okay, now she's making a more female application. She says, not cars necessarily, but look at purses. I mean, you know, you need to carry your stuff from A to B, but those purses, they become real status symbols, ladies, don't they, huh? And they can get very, very expensive as well. And we feel that we absolutely have to have that brand of purse or else, you know, it's just not not the right thing. Good. Yes. Um, that there's a, a subtlety to saving with the right thing. Ah. So saving will make it seem like, okay, working out is a good thing, so it's just a good that's a principle that they all believe in. And then I'm applying this, this bike thing is worth so much money, so now they're going to invest in it because they think they're investing in a good thing, even though it's taking away from the bad thing and actually making things work. So it's that counterfeit kind of thing. Of Absolutely. I think so. Yeah, if you didn't hear what he said, you know, Satan seldom comes on straight. 
I mean, it's not like he's going to tell you, waste all your money uh, you know, at nightclubs. Uh, you're probably not going to fall for that one. Uh, but he'll have other ways of helping you direct your funds to perhaps where they shouldn't go over here. So it's, it's subtle sometimes. He took a good thing, working out, health, and managed to get this misdirected so that funds don't go where they're supposed to, which suits the devil just fine. Suits him just fine. Good. I liked some of the applications that came out. I, one of the one You have something, yes. Yes. Right. She's talking specifically about the bicycles. She says bicycles are much cheaper today. They no longer status symbols. They are transport, and particularly in third world countries, or for people that can't afford a car, to get a bike is a good thing and a, a very positive thing, definitely. This, you'll notice the bicycles, the critical speech about the bicycles. You will notice the time period that she writes. It's clustered around this time. Bicycles improve. They get brakes. They become safer. The roads get better because bikes and cars now will start riding on better roads, and the prices come down. Price comes down, Ellen White stops talking about bikes. A lot of her own employees get themselves bikes to get to and from work. So it wasn't something intricately wrong with the bikes as being an evil thing, or we could talk about picture taking there too, um, but it was definitely this principle of figuring out who controls my money and how do I make decisions about my money. Yes. Okay, and notice please, and I think this is really important when we're studying Ellen White. Do you see how personal it gets? Can you see how personal it gets? It's something that is really personal, and it's meant to be personal. I can't, with authority, prescribe to you whether your gym membership is bad spending of your money or not. I can't do that. I'm not in that position. But this is where it's between you and God. And where you open up, and maybe Jim is not the problem. Maybe there's something else. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe it's a moment to become more directly involved with a particular mission. She's not just speaking to people who earn salaries. She's speaking to students She's speaking to those of us who are on very limited budgets. How am I spending the little bit that I have? She's not telling you that you don't need clothes and that you don't need transport, etc. But these are things that need to be prayerfully considered. One application, I remember where I did this with one group of young adults, and there was one young man that sat at the, in the side, and you know, he was obviously the techie type. He had you know, all the bells and whistles, in the corner there, and he did this exercise, and, and they were thinking and talking, and suddenly it hit him. And I just saw this aha look on his face and this sort of worried look as well, 
And then afterwards he came to me and he said, God's talking to me. I am really into, into tech. I, I keep up to date. And when anything new comes out, any new device comes out, I'm at the store standing in line the night before to get in the door. That's me because I have to have it. And, and I save and I budget. That's a big part of, I mean, it's my hobby. I also use this stuff for work, but it's a big part of my life. If I wait three to six months, it will not affect me negatively, but it will save a lot of money because these things really come down in value. I think I know what I need to do. I need to take the difference that I would be prepared to spend when the thing came out, and I think I need to find a project to put it into. And apparently that's what he did. And I said, wow, look at that. From you should not be buying bicycles. Something that he prayerfully worked out and studied out, and that's the conclusion he came to. Did you get a taste? You see how much there is to it? This is exciting. This is exciting. Studying Ellen White, there's the obvious things that you can quickly see the applications, but when you study her with an open mind, asking the Holy Spirit to impress you, go through the steps. What are the steps again? Let's go, let's have a look again. What are the steps over here? We want to read the source completely, okay? That would be a funny statement if you hear someone say something and you want to check up on it. You want to collect all the information on that topic. You want to remember context and you want to look for context. Study context. Remember the big picture. Why is she writing? What does she want to tell me about God? Okay? And then you make your application. You prayerfully make your application. This is exciting. It's a path that I can't prescribe for you. This is not a path that you can prescribe for someone else. This is part of your journey with Jesus. And this is one of the ways God wants to speak to you. This is one of the ways. Okay, we are running, have run out of time. There's another nice example we have here. But just one or two, a list of don'ts that you perhaps want to take note of as you read over here. Okay, you read number one. Don't neglect your Bible study. Use Ellen G. White to complement your Bible study. Use her to compliment. Remember, she upholds, she magnifies, she refers you back to Isaiah 58. If you read Isaiah 58, you shouldn't, or was it Isaiah 54? No. 58. You shouldn't be able to read Isaiah 58 and get on your $100 bicycle in 1894. The Holy Spirit should be able to ring the bell. And if he can't, ding, 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 that wake-up call, that's why her letter was there too. So, complement your Bible study. Don't let it replace. Reading, it makes you a shallow reader 
when you're not using the Bible as well as your Ellen White. I know in Advent circles we love it. That morning devotional, it's a quick fix when you go out the door. The White Estate has a lovely devotional that I like always. You know, they, they, they're nice things. But they were never designed to take the place of Bible study. You can't live off devotions over there. Just quick fix. You actually need to go through this process that you've just gone through now with your Bible, with Spirit of Prophecy, not just quick fixes. Don't be a sensational reader. What do I mean by that? You get a whole class of people that run around looking for weird, strange, unusual things that they can quote at other people when they read Ellen White's writings. It, it doesn't profit anybody anything. Okay? A sensational reader, no good. She wrote 100,000 manuscript pages. You can find plenty of sensational stuff in it. But that's not what she meant. You could look at the context, etc., as we've done over here. And don't read exclusively on one topic to the exclusion of anything else. Don't become obsessive. She was a balanced person. She was a balanced writer. She didn't spend all her time writing on health. She didn't spend all of her time writing on education. She, she was a balanced person. And if you want to stay healthy, be balanced. Let's take an example from the Bible. If you are going to only read Bible verses that speak of God's judgment, how are you going to feel after a week? If you never read any other verses, you just pick out all the Bible verses that talk about judgment. How are you going to feel? You're going to be ready to jump off a bridge. Okay, you're not going to feel good. And that's not the point of why God gave those verses, right? You need that balance. You need that balance in the context. So, be a healthy reader. Read balanced. Here's a couple of go-to sites. There were a couple of people. Um, if you get stuck on something, yes, please, we've got some handouts there for, for the apps, for those who don't have it. It's free, downloadable. For those of you who don't use apps, um, on your computer, EGW Writings, the website, you can see everything she wrote for free online. There's MP3s you can download, listen to. There's lots of great material there. But if you're stuck with a, a weird section, you can't find any context on it, you can't find any background, you, you're stuck, here are a couple of sites, um, uh, ellenwhite.org, our website, they, we have the most frequently asked questions. Very often the problem is there, because it's kind of the same things that come up. Or you can go into this, oh, yeah, no, not the frog. Okay, well, there was that directory. I guess we'll have to read <laughs> At the end, that's also a useful one. It's on the paper at the back. If all of that fails, and if you've still got a question, um, with context or with any statement, that's what the white estate is there for. You're very welcome to write to us. You can message us on Facebook as well. We, we respond to that fairly quickly if we're not traveling. Uh, or you can send me an email personally, and I would be delighted to, to try to help you, or one of my colleagues that are there as well. Uh, my address is my last name, Klingbaugh, C, like a cat, 
klingbalc at whiteestate.org.org. That is my email address, and you're very welcome to write to me. Yes, Klingbal, that's K-L-I-N-G-B-E-I-L. That's also in your thing, because it's funny spelling. C, at whiteestate, one word, dot O-R-G. So you're very, very welcome to write to me. Love to hear from you. Okay, let's close with a prayer. We've, we've made it, yeah, okay. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this great gift that you've given us. Thank you that you still want to speak to us individually, personally, and collectively. We, we need you. We need your direction in our lives, individually and corporately. And we pray that as we read, as we study your word, as we explore this wonderful gift that you've given us in Ellen White's writings, that you will open new vistas to us and that we can walk ever closer to you and fall more in love with Jesus. For we ask this in his name. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference when all has been heard in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.